We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we doing? How we doing? Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks over on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Happy to have you guys here. Whether you're tuned in live on YouTube, youtube.com slash Oregon Football, Max Torres is where you can find us, or on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, we are here for our Upon Further Review episode of Oregon's Week 9 42-24 win over the California Golden Bears. And joining me to break it down is my guy, Ryan Winter, a.k.a. Sports Chat 503. Ryan, it feels like it's been a minute, but it is good to see you. How you living? Feels great, Max. Always always a pleasure to be here. You know it, man. Well, uh, we got plenty to get into with this uh, with this Oregon game. I know you did uh, your share of uh, you know content yesterday. I think you did a halftime live stream as well. So yep. you're, you're just all over it. <laughs> Um, it's a, it's a fun time to, to be, uh, in the Oregon community with how well this team is playing. Uh, yep. just a couple of, uh, notes, uh, Oregon, Oregon and athletics always hooks us up with some cool notes. Oregon is on a, uh, the first seven game win streak since 2019 and the second since 2014. Um, I, I didn't get to watch all of your stuff, but just kind of wanted to open up. How are you feeling, uh, after this win? Just some, some initial thoughts. Oh, yeah, man. It's a great time to be a duck. You know, we're talking about just, you know, where this fits in the schedule and how important it is to kind of get these victories while you can, you know. So I'm stoked, man. I'm going to go to Colorado next week. And I think it's important to kind of look at these games, uh, you know, a little bit, maybe with a little bit different lens than uh, the average folk. Uh, maybe they, they don't really care about these games. They, they they lose interest in these games. They kind of look for just the bigger games to pay attention to. And I'm, I'm just the opposite, man. I'm just as excited about these games. I think these are games that need to be able to just kind of strap it up and uh, get the job done and, 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 and expect that your opponent's not going to lay down. They're going to fight for you and you're a big part of their schedule. And so you're, you're usually going to get your best opponent, uh, your, your opponent's best. You know, you saw that in the Washington state game. You saw it yesterday, you know, Cal played out of their minds uh, in the first half of that game. They were playing really well. They were throwing the deep ball around. They were making big plays, defense, offense. So you got to tip the cap to them a little bit too. Yeah, and this was a, a big game for Cal, I think, just because of what it would have meant if Oregon lost this game, seeing that, you know, Oregon's in the driver's seat in the Pac-12 now after getting that win over UCLA at home last week for game day. Everybody was hyped off of that. 
Maybe they think going to this game, okay, it's a emotionally draining kind of a win sort of a deal. I mean, Oregon, maybe I shouldn't say it falls under that designation because Oregon controlled that game and they won by two scores pretty handedly. Could have made it a little bit worse, I think, against UCLA. But it was a big win for them, so maybe Cal thinks they can slip up. Heck, last time the Ducks played in Berkeley, we all know what happened. Uh, they lost to the the Bears, which was uh, a really ugly game. Um, but, you know, Cal's never necessarily an easy out. Uh, they, they're a team that can take advantage of you. They usually play some good defense, um, and they have some promising skill talent with, with Jaden Ott and Jeremiah Hunter. Uh, J. Michael Sturdivant had a great game as well. So um, this, this was a team that I think could have given Oregon some issues, and they did for a while because Oregon came out slow. They were down three to nothing at the end of the first, kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. Not really accustomed, not the start that we're accustomed to seeing so far this year. But uh, obviously, Oregon was able to tighten some things up. Offense got rolling. Bo played a heck of a game. The running backs played well. Uh, the tight ends had an awesome game as well. So there's a there's a lot you know a lot of positives to take away from this game as we give our final thoughts here and then kind of go big picture with the season a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think, you know, it's it, you lose focus a little bit on these opponents when you kind of look at it through the lens of, you know, Oregon's now the, the team to beat in the conference, so everybody else is beneath them somehow, and it's not really the case out here. you got to play every week, and they, you knew they were going to pull away from California, and you, but but early on, you know, it was close, and like you're saying, you know, they, they have playmakers over there. They've got a lot of young guys, actually. The future looks fairly bright for them, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with um, – them pulling their starter and putting their backup in and letting him play a little bit. And I'm okay with it. I, 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 I wasn't really stoked on the fact that they, you know, crept back in as much as they did for, scoring 14 in the fourth, but you know, the ducks are, the ducks are, are cruising right now. Their offense is humming. The defense is doing just good enough to kind of keep them in ball games and keep it, keep it low enough. I don't know what's going to happen when they play a really good team, but you know, we'll see, man. I think that UCLA was a good team and has, has proven such throughout the rest of their schedule, and they made it look pretty easy against them. So we'll see how it goes going down the road. Yeah, and I think that these two games, I guess well, the Cal game and the Colorado game, the way the Oregon's schedule kind of shakes out, I really just wanted to see domination, and that's what you want to see uh, next week against Colorado, even more so than Cal, I think, um, just with how how rough of a season they've had and, and just how much Oregon outclasses them on paper just from a talent perspective. Um, so I don't know if we totally saw that. I think we saw it kind of in bursts uh, at the Cal game. I think that's a fair way to say it. And then a lot of the players were echoing the same thing, Lanning and the players that I spoke with after the game out there in Berkeley that, it, you know, wins a win. Lanning said it himself. I don't want to come off like I'm not happy with a win or ungrateful or anything, but, you know, we're, we're not we're not playing our best right now. And that's still something that they're, you know, going, uh, you know, aiming for on, on a week-to-week basis, but we're seeing some improvement. Uh, on, on a week-to-week basis, which I thought was great. Um, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, you mentioned that Oregon's offense is humming, and it made me think about an interesting thing I saw, I think, on on a, one of my other videos. Maybe it was a comment from my post-game show saying that Oregon, that th- this person thinks that Oregon is relying on their offense too much. So let's bring that comment to the table, that question to the table. We have some folks here in the live chat. So let us know your thoughts on, on this Oregon team after the win and heading into the week against Colorado. Is Oregon relying on its offense too much? Well, I think every I think every team in the modern day relies on their offense. I, I, I don't think that many teams win games that are single digits anymore or you know keep teams down uh, that long. I think the offenses are potent, especially on the West Coast. Offenses are potent. I mean, you look at our whole conference 
And, you know, everybody can score, even Stanford, even Cal, uh, even Colorado, teams that are, are not historically all that great in the last couple of years, they can still find you. But I do think that the defense is uh, ha- has some question marks, and it has been uh, the area on the side that it's had some question marks. Um, and, uh, and and that's, that's fine. You know, it, it is what it is. I think uh, what was exciting about this year is how well the offense has played, right? And so – Going into this season, that was the big unknown. And we really didn't know how uh, this offense was going to change from the previous offense that we saw that was a little bit more vanilla. And now we've come to a a more explosive offense that they're willing to do a lot of different things and take advantage of a lot of the different weapons. And so I'm I'm excited about how the offense is doing it. I would would agree with that a little bit, that they're, they're riding on the offense. If they get in a position where they get stuck and they can't score over 30 points, uh, or 25, uh, 30 points, they might be in a real ball game. And, and that could come up against a, a USC at the end of the year or a, a, definitely a Utah. I don't think USC's defense is that good, but I know Utah's is. And, you know, I, I know Washington has has some defense going there and the Beavs as well. So if they get locked into a battle where, you know, maybe some early turnovers and they don't really score. They can't get in the red zone like they did week one against Georgia. Maybe they find themselves in a situation where they can't outscore a team, then they're in trouble. But I don't know if these offenses in the next couple of three weeks are either going to be uh, uh, something to really uh, worry about too much either, because I think the Oregon defense is good enough to be able to hang with it. I just, I think the offense is better. And I don't know if anybody saw that going in this year. Yeah. So I, I, I think I'm kind of on your side in terms of just, you know, I think this is true or I agree with this statement to a degree, but at the same time, it's like, you know, how do you, how do you actively rely on your offense too much, you know? And and if you have a really good offense, you know, you're going to hope that they can score a bunch of points. And I think it's also just maybe due to just how it's maybe playing out differently than a lot of people expected. If if you were to tell an Oregon fan that the offense would be operating at the clip that it is right now, you know, like last, like nine months ago, I don't think they would have believed you because we also didn't know that Mario Cristobal was going to up and leave to go to Miami and especially when you consider that they had all these new coaches come in, some some new faces from the portal and the recruiting ranks. I mean, the, their offense has undergone as dramatic of a transformation as any program <laughs> could expect uh, in, in this in just one the span of one offseason. You have a young play caller in Kenny Dillingham, who some people were maybe a little bit skeptical about just because he didn't have, um, you know, a, a super extensive coaching background. We know he coached in the high school level and then at Florida State and at Auburn, but he's killing it now. So I don't think Oregon's relying on its offense too much, but I think that we just really haven't seen the game script. Um, you know, the game, what am I trying to say here? We haven't seen a game other than, you know, Cal in that first quarter where Oregon's offense has legitimately been stopped and they're put in a situation where it's like, Hey defense, we need you guys to kind of bail us out now. Um, and we need, you know, our backs are up against the wall. And if you guys can't keep the other team from putting some points on the board, I'm not sure we're going to come away with a win. That just hasn't happened this year because it's just touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. They're just rattling things off at such a high clip, which is never a bad thing. But I think that's kind of a little bit of a a consequence of Oregon's offensive success is that the defense hasn't been tested the way that some people expected it to. And I think that a lot of people maybe heading into this season had higher expectations for the offense with regard to how it stacks up, or sorry, had higher expectations for the defense rather with how it stacks up to the offense you know you had all the big names coming in on the uh, defensive staff with Dan Lanning Tosh Lapoy uh, you had the Sewell flow linebacker combo DJ Johnson full-time defense 
I just think there was a lot of uh, buildup to the defense. And just because the uh, offense has been this effective, maybe people think that the defense has uh, kind of fallen short to a degree. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. That was kind of a, a long point. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I mean, I uh, my kind of thought, my takeaway, I just drove in from the beach and I was kind of thinking about this on the drive and I was like, if I would have told you last year after you barely beat Cal at home that next year you're going to be number eight in the country and you have one loss and you just beat Cal 42 to 24, would you be happy about that as a Duck fan? And I don't know of any Duck fan that would say they wouldn't be happy about that. So in my mind, I mean, unless you're unless you're the Duck fan thinks you should win every single game and it's national championship or bust or whatever the case, but I, I I tend to think that that's a pretty good situation. You just beat Cal, a team that historically you have struggled against. I mean, this coaching staff, that coaching staff, twenty years ago's coaching staffs. I mean, it, this has always been a grind with Cal. So you gotta you gotta take your your wins uh, where you can get them, and you can only play who's on your schedule. And right now, I really do think that you've got this really cool opportunity in the schedule to kind of get right, get these games out of your way, get play hard, do your thing, respect your opponent. But you got these two weeks where it's back to back on the road. Just go business trip, take care of business, come back for the gauntlet, those two home games back to back. And then uh, the, 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 the game that everybody wants to, uh, to, to have end the season, the, the mighty, mighty rivalry game. Yeah, we're still waiting to see uh, if we have a new name for that rivalry just yet. Maybe uh, we'll get an update soon. One of these days, man, one of these days. But until then, the rivalry game that sets it sets itself apart from all of the rivalry games, I think it's going to be awesome. And this week, the Bees find themselves in the top 25, and that's a great thing for the Ducks. If the Bees can win this week against Washington, that would really tell you something about that team. And I just love where the Ducks are at right now. It's a great time to be a Duck, man. Mark, yeah. I just saw Mark chime in, Civil War. I know, Mark. I know. I say Civil War all the time. I'm 44. How am I going to change saying that? But I'm trying. The the rivalry game, the Eugene Corvallis rivalry game, brought to you by. <laughs> well, we'll have to see if we get a new name for that. But uh, until then, we'll we'll have to wait for an update. Um, Want to talk a little bit more about Oregon's offense uh, in this game and kind of where they're at, Ryan? Because it was an interesting deal. Not only did they struggle in the first quarter. Uh, you had some red zone hiccups with uh, Bo Nix thrown behind Troy Franklin, and then you had Bo Nix's other pass to Troy Franklin get deflected and uh, intercepted. Um, so they didn't get off to the fast start that we've become used to. Something, mind you, that was not common at all last year. It was rare for Oregon to come off, uh, you know, come out firing uh, in the game and, and be a, a fast start team. But that happens. Chase Cota goes down. You lose your number two wide receiver in the first quarter, I believe it was. Uh, he goes down. Troy Franklin gets a little bit banged up at the end of the first half um, on what looked like kind of a non-contact injury. Um, but he came back in the game to start out the second half. But um, I think we just kind of saw how we saw how important Chase Cota was to this team as the, the number two wideout. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, Chris Hudson dropped what would have been a touchdown pass. I know he was beating himself up for that one. And it was cool to see Bo. I remember I had a, my eyes on Bo after that play. Bo tracked down Chris Hudson and like just wouldn't let him get away from him. It was like just, you know, on him to pick him up. Uh, not let him beat him up, beat himself up. So that was great leadership from Bo. Um, but we see kind of this 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 challenge arise for Oregon with Chase Cota going out, and uh, then really we we saw some adaptability and we saw some adjustments from this coaching staff. We saw Troy Franklin get more involved, Chris Hudson get more involved. The running backs out of the backfield 
I was writing a story on them earlier today. You can read that on DucksDigest.com, by the way. I think it was 176 combined yards on like eight catches for these Oregon running backs. So they just absolutely took over in the passing game. Terrence Ferguson got involved. Malik Matavell got involved. Patrick Herbert with his first college touchdown after battling all those injuries. How great was it to see that? So I think that uh, just seeing how Oregon adapted to Chase Cota being out was was really remarkable. And they've had 174 yards on the ground, but it, it was pretty quiet because, you know, Cal kind of put a lot of energy into uh, trying to kind of sell out more or less against the run. So Oregon said, all right, we'll beat you through the air then. Absolutely. And, you know, they get so many weapons. I, I, I think it's a, you know, it's just a part of football. You know, it, it, it's a fine line out there, right? I mean, you're one play away at any time in any position, basically, from getting injured. And so you naturally have to build depth at these positions. Guys are hungry to play. And, you're, you know, it's next man up. So, yes, they will miss Chase. And, uh, you know, being, a, being the kind of receiver that he is, a big body receiver, great hands, physical, uh, knows how to use his body to get open, give a big target. Uh, he and Bo had a <clears throat> really comfortable sort of repertoire of going uh, there. You know, other guys are going to have to fill in. I thought Dante uh, did a pretty good job jumping in there right away and, and getting the first down and kind of what would look to be the same type of a role that Chase would have had uh, cutting across the middle. And, uh, you know, they're just, they're, they'll lean on their wide receivers. They'll lean on their, their tight ends. And, uh, and they'll lean on the running backs. You know, the running backs caught a lot of balls yesterday too. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just really impressed. What I love about this offense, and I've said it a couple times this year with my – I'm doing like a, a a video room now kind of a thing. And, you know, it's so much fun to like really break down this video because, you know, in, in years past – and, again, I'm not trying to slam Mario, his time, or anything else like that. I think it's kind of a tired narrative. But I, I, I do think that there just was not the creativity and there were not the options available. You know, it looked like a lot of times, like, for example, I went back and watched the UCLA footage from last year when it was in the Rose Bowl uh, with AB versus this year with Bo Nix. And when it looks like he is doing a zone read, it doesn't even look like the other players have even the idea that the ball could go to them. Like it was all predetermined. It made it look like it was options, but you didn't really have options. It was going to go in one direction. And everybody knew the direction was going to go in. You could tell when you slowed it down that guys weren't looking for the ball. And in this offense, it's sort of the opposite. When you slow it down, especially like three, four, four, five steps into the play, you look around the field, those got numerous options. Check one, check two, check three, and everybody's open. So it's like, how can you not go wrong in this offense? And I just, I really appreciate what Kenny Dillingham has done by just making the defense guess, making the defense make a decision, and most of the time having the defense make the wrong decision. Now, again, like uh, uh, any good uh, you know coach would do, I've also gone back and looked at the Georgia film and like how the hell did then Georgia stop this offense? And it really comes down to the fact that they just, out in my mind, outperformed and out-athleted the Ducks at the point of attack. The Georgia defense was stifling. There was really no room. Even when they carved them up between the tackles, they made some big plays here and there, or between the 20s, I should say. They made some big plays in here and there, but when it, when the when the plays needed to be made, Georgia made the plays defensively. They were all over them. When you watch the Pac-12 defenses, there really hasn't been anybody outside of that first half of Washington State that's really clamped down on the Ducks, and, and the Ducks have had some, some troubles with. 
this weekend, Cal showed some stuff. Cal showed probably the second best defense that you've seen uh, in the Pac-12 so far. Now, I think Utah's probably got the best one of them all if they're healthy. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was really impressed with Cal. Even though they were going to – I felt like they were going to get lose. I thought they were going to get beat by maybe worse than this. I thought – I didn't think they were going to score into the 20s. I thought it was going to be like 42-17 or 42-14 or something like that. Um, so I was actually fairly impressed. And I actually liked the the last uh, drive they had with the uh, the backup quarterback. I thought that was a pretty good run for them uh kai milner but you know i I, again i i'm I'm really impressed by this oregon offense and you know i also i think there's also be something said about bo nix right i mean the guy has come in here and he's completely written his own story he had his own uh kind of troubles and uh, uh, trial tribulations in the south and he didn't never really had very good offensive line to work with didn't really have a very good offensive game plan to work with and he's come out here and absolutely shredded it I mean, he's legitimately in the Heisman conversation now nationally, just purely based on numbers he's put up since the Georgia game. I mean, that's pretty impressive to think about. So uh, I think I think a lot of uh, uh, respect has to be uh, on to Coach Lanning for being a type of guy who's willing to allow that offense to just do its thing. And uh, and I'm assuming that he gave the keys to Kenny Dillingham fairly quickly in this whole uh, procedure. And Dillingham has absolutely run with it. Yeah, a lot, lot of really good stuff there. Um, I know you were talking about the depth for Oregon. Um, that was obviously on full display uh, on Saturday against Cal. Um, loved how the running backs just, they were able to attack the the middle of the field. Both saw that that was open on those little angle routes out of the backfield and just attacked it time and time again because they weren't taking it away. Um we already talked about the tight ends getting involved. I, I was really happy to see Dante get obviously some more uh, snaps and some more opportunities, although I, I was expecting a little bit more from him. Um, but, you know, just, that's just how the game goes sometimes. Um, and then you talked about Bo. I think one of the interesting notes from from Bo, uh, just on how he's done, you know, six touchdowns in this past game, almost 470 yards of total offense. He has 11 rushing touchdowns on the season. And he needs four more to tie the most by an Oregon quarterback being Marcus Mariota in 2014 in a single season. And uh, I think there's four more games left and he's already closing in on that. So uh, he's just been a, I think that we knew Bo Nix was a good runner heading into this season, but I don't know about you, but I didn't expect him to be this good of a runner and just be this much of a dual threat guy. It's just been remarkable. Well, and I also think that we were coming off of right the the, the previous offense where you saw the, the the quarterback be the running back quite often, uh, and and they really leaned on that. And uh, and I and I, I didn't know if that was necessarily going to be the same way they were going to run this this year. In my mind, the best quarterback run option is when you have a good running game and you have a good passing game and the defense is guessing and all of a sudden now you can break one off for 15 yards. You just keep doing that in a cycle and things are good for your offense. When you have to force the run, when you have to force it. And last year I did think that the best play that they had was the option play with AB where he would tuck and go this year. It's not the case. Bo can do what he wants. And then when he does need to get the the first down, he can get it, but no, he's very explosive. He's very good in the pocket. Part of the reason why he hasn't been sacked so much is because his elusiveness in the pocket. He's very fleet of foot, and he can definitely take a hit. He knows when to slide. He knows when to dive forward to get the first down. He's just a smart player. And, you know, you got to give credit to his family. You got to give credit to his pops for running through. He talks about his dad 
running through all different plays and what are you going to run on this formation against this and that and the other. And just, you can tell he's a heady guy to the point where it's really slowed down for him. He's come out here and he's very smooth. He's a smooth operator in the pocket. He doesn't get rattled. And, you know, a quarterback like him, you know, the first instinct is to tuck and run. And you got to learn how to kind of be that pocket passer and not look to run at all times. And he's really done that very well. Now, he can still tuck and go and pretty much get you what he wants to get you. But the idea that he's got so many different weapons and he can utilize all these different weapons has been really freeing, I think, for Bo. And he's come out here and had a great time. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody has done more for themselves outside of Hen and Hooker in the country uh, as a quarterback uh, by uh, uh, transferring or doing, you know, getting a new opportunity than Bo Nix. I think the guy is on an absolute uh, tear and his trajectory is only going up and it's only going to get better when he starts to face more uh, uh, games like the Utah, uh, Washington, Utah, Oregon State game like the end of the year, because I think he plays his best in those pressure moments. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Definitely some some more prove-it games for, for Bo Nix. I mean, he's already proven it, but like I said, it always strengthens your your you know draft stock and you know people's belief in you that you're the real deal when you can go up against those good, solid defenses, and Washington and Utah always have those. So uh, definitely excited for those games. Uh, excited to be back in Eugene for the Washington game. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast. we got more Oregon versus Cal breakdown as Oregon looks ahead to Colorado and uh, the gauntlet the rest of the season. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, talking with Ryan Winter, a.k.a. Sports Chat 503, on this Sunday night. Uh, I'm flying back to Long Beach tomorrow, so the YouTube folks will get this show first, and then the show will go out probably tomorrow morning uh, on the podcasting streams, or platforms, rather. So we're going to talk about Oregon's defense, but before we get to that, I just wanted to address something that I've been seeing in the comments here asking about Coda's injury and kind of any news there. 
we asked Lanning about that after the game, but he didn't have anything new to report or new to share. So he's kind of going to have to go back and see what the doctors say. Uh, looks like he got hit in the knee or lower leg from kind of what we were able to gather and see in the game yesterday, but I'm sure he'll get asked about that tomorrow night uh, in his weekly press conference. So, you know, we will update you there. Make sure you lock in. That's why it's important to lock in on the social media platforms. MTOR Sports is where you can find me on Twitter. All right, Ryan, let's talk about Oregon's defense because it's been talked about a lot, and I think it begs the question, are we not giving Oregon's defense enough credit? I think that Oregon's defense has been kind of hard to evaluate this year, partially because the offense has been playing so well. And what happens when the offense plays well? You build big leads, you get the backups in, and um, it makes it a little bit harder to see the absolute best of the best and you know, what your starters are truly capable of because they're not playing the whole game. And I think that Oregon's defense hasn't really put together uh, a dominant, complete game from start to finish just yet. That's what they're looking for. And I think a good way to contextualize this is the garbage time points, which some people have been talking about in the chat here. Jeff Schwartz had a tweet uh, just about this. Uh, I don't have my monitor with me, so I can't share my screen for the... Uh, for the tweet, but I'm going to read it off to you guys. And then Ryan, will get, we'll get some back and forth here. Yeah. The amount of points this or this season, Oregon has allowed in the final 17 minutes of blowout wins is remarkable. We'd, we'd speak much differently about this defense without these points. BYU 13 points, 20 total in that game that BYU scored Stanford, 17 points out of 27 total points, UCLA 14 points out of 30 total points. And then Cal, 14 points out of Cal's 24 total points in that game. So those numbers, I think, can definitely uh, make it a little bit tricky to really get a good feel on where this Oregon defense is at. We know that they're doing a good job at getting stops. Brian Addison had his second career pick uh, on Jack Plummer's second throw of the day against Cal. So he's been a major success story for this uh, team. Um and uh, I want to say, that, yeah, and then Triquez Bridges had that interception on Plummer in, late in the set, in the first half. I mean, it literally looked like he was trying to telegraph that ball to, to Bridges. I was just kind of scratching my head in the press box looking at that one. But um, with all that being said, the the background of the garbage points and, and maybe some of the injuries that Oregon's had to deal with, do you think we're not giving Oregon's defense enough credit? Because I'm kind of leaning that way. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think the, the whole point is, I think most people watch football from the offensive perspective. I, I would assume 75% of people focus on the offense more than the defense. So everybody's going to, you know, immediately going to look at Oregon's offense, especially when Oregon's offense was the surprise this year because they're playing so well, they're scoring so many points, and they've really become the story. So that's going to take even more shine away from your defense. I think early on, people wanted to see some amazing things from the uh, Noah Sewell-Justin Flo combo and almost like a wrestling tag team match sort of a thing where it's just explosive play after explosive play, and here comes the chair over the top and whatever. And, you know, that's not really how football works. You know, last year, you know, I think Noah had to do a lot and he was put in a position where he got a lot of tackles. He made a lot of plays. He's a hell of a player, but there was really a, so many injuries last year in the linebacker core that he was the only guy there this year. They've rotated a lot of guys, even boss missed missing the second half of, or the first half of next week's games. Not that big of a deal. There's a lot of guys coming in and out of this uh, linebacker core. And so right out of the gate, I think people just looked at it and said, well, it doesn't look like Noah Sewell and Justin Flo are having super amazing, uh, you know, impactful games. And uh, and the offense is doing better. So they kind of forgot about him a little bit. 
I think uh, Triquez became kind of a little bit of a sticky point for some people because they thought that he was getting picked on too much and that Gonzo was so much better. What happened in Cal? The exact opposite thing happened, right? Triquez looked like he was locking people down and Gonzo looked like he was getting taken advantage of. So, you know, I, I, I think that this defense is good. I don't know if it's great. And I think that the offense so far has been great. Again, outside of the Georgia game, uh, the offense has done everything you wanted it to do. Defensively, there's still some gaps. There's still some issues. They're still pretty bad on third down conversion. And they still have some issues here and there. But, you know, again, like I said before, you got to look at the other side too. There's some pretty good offenses out here. And now we're at the position where we've got five teams in the Pac-12 that are in the top 25. And, uh, you know, three of them in the top 10. I mean, so there, there, this is, there's some good football out here. Finally getting some national recognition. But you and I both know there's been some good football out here for a while. And it's hard to stop these teams. It's not like the old SEC days where you only had a couple really good offensive teams and teams would play each other to a 12-10 matchup or old Big Ten days where, if, you know, you got a 13-10 score and it looks like it's a barn burner of a game. You know, everybody's scoring points now. You know, the Big 12 probably averages for 35, 40 points a game. Uh, the Big 10 is now s- slowly averaging probably more like 30 points a game. The Pac-12 has always been scoring. Whoever wins got to score 40 out here, basically. That's just how we do it out there. We how, we how we've done it out here for a long time. And when a defensive game breaks out, it's fairly rare. We have a game that's a 14 to 16 or, you know, some sort of a score in the teens. That's pretty rare out here. So, you got to give the defense a little bit of credit. Yes, they have some issues, but all defenses do. And I do think that going down the stretch here, I think it's going to be the best defense on the field for the rest of the year. Maybe the Utah defense is going to be better than them. And, and usually, historically, statistically, the Utah defense is one of the best in the league every single year. Sure. So that's not surprising. But uh, the way that Oregon's playing right now, with guys getting healthy, putting a lot of pressure on teams, I think the defense is going to play very well at the end of the stretch down here, and they're going to make some some uh, tough times for some of these Pac-12 quarterbacks. Yeah, and and I think you know, we have to talk about the areas where Oregon's grown. I think that um, the the takeaways are encouraging. The the pass rush is getting a little bit better week by week, and I, I think I would have been concerned like if they didn't get a single sack in this game against that Cal offensive line, then we would have been in okay a different conversation. Like that was definitely an underwhelming performance, but. DJ Johnson was able to get two sacks. Uh, I think I saw a stat today from PFF that Dorless registered nine quarterback pressures by himself. Um, so the stats are a little bit wonky after the game initially. Um, just when we were, you know, I was probably doing my post game show and we were writing some of our early stories. Uh, so it sounds like they've, uh, you know, flushed those out a little bit. Um, but uh, I think Casey Rogers has been an improvement for for this defensive line. I think he did, he doesn't get a lot of credit. Uh, not a lot of his stats show up, but him and Jordan Riley have been fantastic additions to the defensive line. Um, Taki Taimani wasn't available in this one. So we saw some more of Keanu Williams and he looks like he's getting more comfortable after coming over from the 2021 class. Uh, so he's still fairly young. Keanu Hudson uh, looks more comfortable. He's getting some, some good run out there as well. So a lot of these guys are getting reps. Um, and I think that Oregon's linebackers entered this season with a lot of expectations. Like you were talking about with uh, Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, combo and we're, we're still seeing Noah Sewell flying around every game throwing guys around playing that physical brand of football that Oregon wants to pride itself on it's just a matter of getting other guys kind of maybe not up to Noah's level because that can be pretty hard to ask the dude is just a freak athlete 6'3 250 
and, and he moves the way he does. That's not something you can ask of everybody. Um, but I think Jeff Bossa has been a, a good contributor for them. Going to miss him in, in that uh, first half against Colorado. But like you said, not a, a you know, super imposing opponent, so not the end of the world. Uh, but you want to use this next game again to get some of those other rotational pieces, more snaps, so that when you get to those games against Washington, against Utah, against Oregon State, or even in the, in the, the postseason, you can turn to those guys and be confident because, hey, we blew these teams out and we got those guys in like we needed to. Uh, something the other the previous staff did not do a good job of. Um, and I think that's where some of the setbacks came from. So I think that especially given, I guess maybe this weekend made me think about the whole garbage time thing uh, a, a little bit differently and maybe made me think that we needed to give Oregon's defense some more credit and some more slack. But at the same time, I don't think it's a, you know, bulletproof excuse. You don't want to be able to, you don't want to be saying, oh, well, we only gave those points up because our second team was in there. Well, then what is that saying about your second team? Your second team needs to get better at that point. So Oregon's still trying to get that depth uh, across the board. Um, and, and I think that we're seeing some some consistency uh, just kind of in a different way from, from week to week uh, from this defense. So um, I think that they're still striving up to the standard uh, that they have set for themselves. They're not there yet. Um, but this Colorado game has to just be an absolute golden opportunity for them to just go in hungry. And a lot of guys seem like they were honestly kind of pissed off. Uh, pardon my French, if that's swearing, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that on the podcast or not. Uh, after that, after that game, you know, we were talking to Bo, we were talking to Alex Forsyth and they, they were, it was almost, I don't know if I'd say it was somber, but it just, it wasn't what it didn't give you the impression or the tone of a team that just scored 42 points and put up almost 600 yards of offense in a game and because it's because they think that highly of themselves and they know they can do better so that's more on the offense but i think that the defense is continuing to make strides and they're doing enough for what oregon needs them to do as a team uh so because oregon's offense is rallying off all those points they don't necessarily need to be just dominating from from start to finish but that's obviously what they're aiming for absolutely and uh yeah you're you're, you know your 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 point is well taken about garbage time you know most of these most of these games Oregon has got up very quickly and especially that middle eight we've talked about that all year that second quarter they've done very well I just looked it up while you were talking there for a second they've had 14 uh, 13 points against BYU 14 points against these are all fourth quarter points 10 points against Stanford in the fourth six against Arizona 14 against UCLA and 14 against Cal so this is this is while beating teams, all of those teams except for Washington State by 20 points, basically, uh, or, or around there. So yeah, you're right. I mean, there's something to be said about these guys, you know, allowing garbage points. You want to call them that, or second string points, or whatever. But I've always thought that that's the easiest time for a team to score. <laughs> they they take out the the starters, they put in the second stringers. The second stringers been sitting there watching, or the third stringers, whatever, been watching the whole time, and they're ready to go. And you get a burst of energy. You see this over and over and over in youth sports and uh, and all the way up through college. And uh, and in the pros, you don't see it that much because you don't have that much depth, right? You only have the 53-man roster. So, uh, you know, in, in, in the uh, college, you see it oftentimes where fourth quarter, it's kind of a different ballgame. And it, uh, d- different, different plays are being run. Coaches are taking different chances. They're a little less scripted. Uh, they go off the cuff a little bit. Weird things happen. Big plays happen. 
So that's why people love the fourth quarter. That's why it's exciting time to kind of, you got to close out a game. And that's why it was re really important to me to see a duck team get up early. So you don't have weird things happen to you in the fourth quarter and you get bit because that's happened to the, the duck team numerous times. Awesome stuff. Yeah. And that, that just goes to show and goes back to our previous point of how much this Oregon defense has, uh, Sorry, Oregon offense has transformed since last year. I'd be curious. We don't have to dive into this right now. I'm just going to put it out there. Maybe people can chew on this food for thought. What if the Oregon defense was as dominant as the Oregon offense was this year? I'd be curious to see what kind of conversations we would be having and um, what the what the season would look like. That would just be a crazy way to turn it on its head um, because I think the offense would still be able to put up points, but then we'd be kind of wondering, you know, is is it, are, is the offense doing enough? But the, the last uh, the last topic I want to switch to today, Ryan, I know we're taking a little bit longer than I originally told yeah, you. Are you doing dude, okay on time? We're here. we're here, man. All right. Well, last thing we want to kind of dive into to get people ready. Uh, we're going to be kind of starting to turn the page a little bit to Colorado. Uh, next week, Ducks hitting the road to head to Boulder for a 1230 kickoff on ESPN. Uh, so nice for the Ducks to get another early kickoff, be under the national spotlight as the number eight team in the country. Uh, what, what do we think here? Expectations for Colorado. I mean, I'm saying dominance, but that's pretty, that's pretty broad. Um, I think that you, you want to get the run game going a little bit more than you did against Cal. Uh, I think that you, uh, if, if Chase Coda isn't able to go, you want to get some of those other pieces more involved aside from Troy Franklin, continue to get the tight ends involved. They're looking real comfortable. Um, I want to see more Sean dollars. I thought he played an awesome game against Cal that maybe flew under the radar, you know, not any, crazy stats but but he looks really comfortable and he looks like a guy who's making the most of his opportunities um but this this is an opportunity for Oregon to make another statement and uh I mean I'm not trying to be mean but they are the worst team in the Pac-12 so Oregon should go out there and, and blow them out of the water that's that's pretty much all you got to say yeah I totally agree and I I, I think uh it's, it's gonna be a party I'm gonna go I'm taking my son up there we're gonna have a great time and again I I think these are the games that you want to look forward to you know um and uh you know, Colorado, I watched the Colorado Cal game and I got to watch all that one. And I was pretty impressed with how Colorado was playing after their coaching change. And, and again, you never know what you're going to get with that. But uh, Colorado is uh, not a team that's looking to give up at, at any time during the season. And, and you know what? They might play some good games going down the stretch, but you're right. They're probably going to lose the rest of their games. And uh, they know this Oregon game is a, is, is a real tough one. I mean, they, their schedule does not look good after this. It, 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 it's Oregon, USC, Washington and Utah. So doubtful that they're getting another win. Um, but, you know, uh, you still got to play these uh, these games. And that's one of the reasons why I like to go to a game like this is because I still think it's important. And even though a lot of people are, are very quick to dismiss stuff like this and be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, I, I still think these are important games and good things can be taken from these. And, uh, you know, I was actually excited that a real game broke out against Cal and it wasn't a boat race because uh, I was more excited to watch that game. And I think the Ducks learned a little bit more about themselves than had they gone down there and just completely crushed. Like you were saying about if the defense was playing as good as the offense right now, you know, that'd be fine. But, you know, you still probably would have lost to Georgia pretty handsomely. And you, you still find yourself in the same position you are right now. So I think the defense is slowly getting better week after week. And I think that, uh, I think that, uh, that you know, years removed from this season you're going to look back and say that was actually a pretty special defense at least the players on the field i don't know if the unit performed as well as maybe we had expectations for but i think you're going to look back and say this was a pretty special unit 
Yeah, and I think that part of what Oregon, Oregon's defense is trying to do is just get on the same page. Um, you know, get the communication down pat and, you know, be able to get into the right checks and make those adjustments, know where your help's at, like all those things like that. I think, and another thing that I wanted to say earlier that I forgot to say, so I wanted to circle back around to it real quick is we got to give the Oregon defense some slack because of all of the change that they've had from, from a coaching and schematic standpoint, you had Andy Avalos, uh, and then you had, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. The DC last year, this is a horrible look. What was the DC's name last year? He's at Texas Tech. Now. Tim DeRuiter. Yeah, Tim DeRuiter last year, and then now you have Tosh Lapoy. Um, so just having that much change can can uh, be difficult, obviously. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that to your point, just you know about why it might have been good that it wasn't a boat race. One of the things that we talked about in the post game press conference was how Oregon got stopped on both of its fourth downs and how that was kind of humbling for them, and that it was maybe a good thing for them to see that it's not going to be free. You know, it's not guaranteed. Um, and that's, I think something that, uh, is maybe going to kind of help keep them in check with how hot they are right now, how well that offense is playing. So I think that, um, maybe we'll see, we'll just see what Colorado has to offer for Oregon. But I think this is a game where you want to get up early, get some of those backups in, get them some, some important reps. Uh, I think I saw it on bet online that they opened as 31 point favorites, uh, against Colorado, which is an absolutely insane line. Uh, but I think that just goes to show you the, the huge gap between these two teams, at least the gap that is perceived by the, the bookmakers uh, at some of these sites. Uh, so I think, you know, it's it's another game or all Oregon can do is play the games that uh, are on its schedule and put in front of them. It may not be the most attractive matchup, but uh, it's a game that you got to go out there and play. It's another chance to prove uh, that you're the best team in the pack and that you're uh, taking those steps week by week and, and now with the the first playoff rankings coming out on uh, on Tuesday, um, I guess you could say it's another opportunity to to make your case for the playoff. Uh, seeing that Oregon's on uh, the seven game win streak, yeah, I think it'll be a blowout. And you know, I, I'm 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 a really big believer in the fact that your offense can can let your defense kick back and relax a little bit. And there's been times I think that maybe the defense fell into that because the offense did jump out to such a big lead. And defense maybe didn't feel as opportunistic and maybe didn't feel as hungry as they would had they needed to get a stop or something like that. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it goes both ways. This is a game where you need to really pump up. You need to bring your own juice, as they say. You know, you need to bring bring your own energy and strap it up and and go for it. And I kind of actually think that mentally you should you should think of these games as being uh, must win games. And you really, really need to bring your A game because. It's it's like a lose lose situation, right? You can't beat this team bad enough. And I see guys in the chat talking about scoring seventy points, and you know that'd be awesome. But uh, I, I I tend to think you need to get to about fifty points on this team. And I would love to see uh, the defense clamp down and not really give Colorado Buffs much of an opportunity at all. Maybe something around fifty something to fourteen, or uh, maybe even less would be pretty awesome. But I, either way, I don't think it really matters. Because I don't think this it, it, scoring more points now doesn't get you anything in a month. So you're going to need to get this game, get it under your belt, move on to the next one, get back into the uh, the, the 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 film room and start studying stuff. Because the Washington Huskies, no matter what kind of team they're going to provide for you, they're going to be a challenge. And coming off this uh, Colorado Buffs uh, win, which I'm assuming is going to be a big win, uh, that would consider be a trap game between that and the Utah game. That's how you kind of spell those things out, right? When you define a trap game, 
it's kind of based on what did you play last? Who'd you play last week? How'd you play? What was your mindset going into the next week? And having some sort of a letdown for that uh, Husky game, it, it would be unacceptable, especially in the rivalry situation that the fans are in. I don't know if the players feel the same way, but uh, I think I have a home game to come back to the friendly confines of odds. And you only got two home games left, but after this week, uh, uh, Colorado buffs, you don't have to leave the state of Oregon until the possible, uh, PAC 12 championship, which I'm hoping they get to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think another thing, um, I was going to say, you can use this game to kind of tune up, clean up some things. Dan Lanning was talking about the pre-snap penalties that, that reared their heads against, uh, Oregon getting called for, for a couple false starts in that one. I think one of them stalled one of the drives, or maybe that was a hold uh, early on in that game against Cal. Um, third down defense continuing to uh, improve a little bit. Held Cal to, I think, four for 15 uh, in this game uh, in week nine. Uh, so get off the field when you can. I think that's huge. Help yourself out there. Maybe get some more uh, pass breakups. Uh, don't, get, don't get beat by the big play that happened, I think, three or four times against Cal uh, in this one. Um, and then, you know, do the things that you do well, well, uh, and then just try to make those weaknesses into strengths. That's kind of the name of the game. Uh, but it should be a, a fun one and we'll have plenty to talk about, about this game throughout the week on, on the podcast. But, um, just any final thoughts here, Ryan, before we get out of here? No, just, uh, getting excited for the rest of the year. I mean, I, I, I tend to think that, uh, you know, you have kind of two different, uh, versions of the duck fans, right? You got the duck fans that, that are uh, uh, kind of the old school fans that are like, hey, man, uh, that was a big win against Cal, you know, and other other Duck fans are like, oh, man, that was terrible. You should have blown Cal out, right? I mean, I think you have kind of both sides of the equation. I think I think both fan bases or parts of the fan base, if you want to consider it that way, have really come together this year and have really been on the same page. It felt like there was a real harmony after that UCLA game. There's something really special about that UCLA game. I, I can't really put my finger on it, but the energy was tremendous. Uh, it was it was one of those things that really kind of felt like everybody was was feeling it. Everybody was on the same page, uh, and uh, and and I think uh, going forward it's going to be a rough one. I I, I do think that they're, they're going to have a challenge. They're going to have one of these games that is going to be very difficult. Maybe like a Washington State game where they have to score some crazy twenty nine points in the fourth to win it or something. I mean, there's been some weird stuff out there, but I do really like Oregon's chances going forward. And I, at this point in the game. You know, not to get too ahead of myself, but I do think that they have probably the best option to get back into the Pac-12 championship. Even if they did get a loss into the future, maybe against Washington or something, that they would possibly have, uh, you know, that opportunity. But I'm not thinking any losses. I'm thinking they're going to win out. I, I, I always thought this year that Utah was going to present a very big challenge and possibly another loss because it was really hard for me to kind of get over those losses last year, right? the PTSD of, of, of being in that stadium in Vegas and seeing that exact same thing happen again two weeks later was hard to take. And, it, and it's hard to shake that mentality, right? But what I've seen out of Utah so far, you know, they've got to, one, they've got to get healthy. Uh, but two, even when they are healthy, it does not seem like the same explosive defense that they had last year. And I think Oregon's offense has some completely different form this year. And like you said before, do you think they're going to lean on the offense? Yes, they are. And I think that the, uh, the the offense is going to have to win them that game. And the same thing goes with the Beavs. I think the Beavs are going to be very tough in the construction side at the end of the year. I think the Beavs are really going to bring it. I'm really proud of them getting in the top 25. This could be an absolute classic, absolute classic Beav meltdown if they lose to the Huskies this week. The first week getting in the top 25, turn right around and lose to the Huskies. 
up in Seattle. I could see it this clear as day. But um, if they continue to win and put pressure on teams, I think, uh, you know, they've got something going forward as well, that they've got uh, a higher expectation. And I think that, that that helps everybody in the conference, right? So uh, the, the high tide raises all boats. And right now the Pac-12 is floating a little bit better than it was before. And it's feeling a little bit better. And now we saw the media deal or what we think is the media deal from the Big 12 kind of come through. And it doesn't look that bad for the Pac-10. Uh, going forward, or what could be the Pac-12 if they have expansion, with uh, which uh, Klyovkov has mentioned. So I think it's just a really good time to be a duck, and I don't know if that was necessarily what we thought. If you go back in time when you thought the conference was going to go down, the team was leaving, the coaches were leaving you, you didn't know what you were going to get with recruits, if you're going to lose recruits, if you're going to lose the mojo. Instead, you have a better coaching staff come in who gets better recruits before he's even coached a game, Yes, has the bad loss, but since then has put together the best seasons we've seen since the absolute apex of Oregon football with uh, Chip Kelly and Helfrich and Mariota and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, how can you not be thrilled? <laughs> so at this point in time, I just think it's a, it's a great situation. The, the tide is rising, and, and I think it's going to be better in the future. I think the offensive line is the big veteran group right now, but I think the guys next year are going to play very well on the offensive line. And I think going forward, they're going to continue to get a lot of really good recruits in here. And I think coach Clem's going to coach these guys up. I'm just so impressed with coach Lanning and his staff. Uh, the, what they've done this year has been very, very, very impressive. So uh, I'm just thrilled to be a duck and I've uh, blessed to be uh, in the situation I'm in as a season ticket holder, a guy who gets to, gets to go to these games, take my son to these games. My son works at the duck store. Uh, he, he, he's in a primo time right now. He'll be at U of O in two years. And, he could literally be looking at a possible natty in his future. I mean, that that's how good I think this program is going or program as uh, Dan Lanning likes to say, but I, I do think that uh, everything is moving up right now and it feels really, really good. It does feel a lot to me like the first chip Kelly year. When you lose to Boise to start the year, you run the table, you go to Rose bowl, lose to Ohio state in the Rose bowl, something like that. I could see happening. I could see them winning the rest of these games, going to a big bowl, and maybe, you know, maybe not winning the bowl game. I, I, I could see that. But uh, I'm just thoroughly impressed with Coach uh, and, and, and the whole staff. And I'm really impressed with Bo. I think uh, Bo has put a lot of people's uh, uh, doubts to bed. And a lot of the uh, vocal Ty Thompson crowd has now become much, much more closer to uh, accepting Bo Nitz. I mean, I remember my son was pissed. That he shouldn't be able to wear number 10. I was like, it's just a number. Like, let him wear the number. Now the guy's putting up better numbers in the number 10 than probably anybody outside of Dennis Dixon. So it's like, man, the, the guy is just putting up some crazy, crazy video game type numbers. And uh, he looks great doing it. And the offense looks great doing it. So it's a thrill. We're having fun. Yeah, great time to be a duck. Uh, lots of good stuff, Ryan. I, the offense is flying high. The defense is showing some signs of improvement. Definitely some question marks there, but they're going to continue to address those each week. And uh, it's another week to get better for this team. Pretty healthy. Uh, we got to see what's going on with Chase Coda. We'll see if Taki comes back. Steven Jones wasn't in a boot when I saw him in Berkeley. So that was probably a, hopefully a good sign for the Ducks. We'll see if he ends up being available um, later this season. But the offensive line is playing great. Um, and, and they're just really firing on all cylinders. Oregon getting a lot of national respect now. I think people are starting to not dismiss completely, but just realize that, you know, take the loss against Georgia for what it was the first game under a brand new coaching staff against the defending national champions. 
And uh, I mean, asking for a win there is definitely a tall order, but I think I'm still, I'm still, uh, you know, in that crowd that thought it could definitely be more competitive than that. But things are coming together for this Oregon team now heading into Colorado in week 10. Uh, and we're going to have a whole bunch of talk this week to break that game down and preview it. But uh, Ryan, where can people find more of you and uh, kind of what you got going on in the yeah. Oregon football community? Love it. Yeah, Sports Chat 503. Check me out. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, anything else. If you want to join a live stream, I do on Tuesday nights, 5 o'clock on the West Coast. It's a very fun opportunity to allow all different fans to come in and uh, kind of just uh, share their thoughts, get on video, be on live, you know, be a part of the show. I love that platform. And I'm doing a new thing where I break down the film. I do the film room and uh, that's also very fun. So had a lot of fun with that. So, yep, yep. Uh, YouTube has given us a, a great platform to do all this stuff. So I'm trying to use it as much as possible. And the Duck fans, we have a good time out there. So if you're in Boulder, let's do it. Let's party, man. Yeah, and make sure you guys check out Ryan's live stream. Sometimes I uh, I pop in there if uh, if I'm, I'm not too busy, um, but I'm trying to hit a couple schools this week out in the Los Angeles area, Southern California area, so we'll see if I can maybe stop by. But uh, if you guys want to find more of me, you guys can follow me on Twitter, at mtouristsports. If you're here on YouTube, do me a favor, take a second out of your day, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and hit the notification bell so you don't miss out on future live shows such as this one right here uh, on YouTube. They're always a blast. We'd love to get you guys involved. Didn't get to a ton of questions and comments today. Apologies for that. We just had a lot of good stuff that we wanted to get into. Uh, and then make sure you guys find all my written content covering Oregon at ducksdigest.com, uh, ramping up the recruiting coverage. As always, got some Jerry Mixon content coming out probably tomorrow. We'll see you with the travel day. And then if you guys really want to support, the best way you can show your support is sharing the show, share the Ducks Dish podcast with your friends, with your family, with other Duck fans. We greatly appreciate it. But until next time, big thank you to Ryan for coming on and taking some time out of his day. Thank you guys for tuning in and showing your support. And we will see you in the next episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.